Uh, today we are in the 12th chapter of Matthew. This is the story that, uh, G- that Debbie told about the healing of Jesus. Then they brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, and he could talk and see. And the people were astonished and asked, could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. But Jesus, knowing what they had in their thoughts, said that a kingdom that is divided against itself will be in ruin. And a city and a household divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan drives out Satan, then his kingdom is divided. How can his kingdom stand? And if it is by the power of Beelzebul that I cast out demons, by whom do your people cast them out? They shall be the judge over you. But if by the power of the Spirit I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come near you. How can you enter a strong man's house? And carry off his possessions unless you first tie up the strong man. Then you can plunder his house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. If you look at the screen this morning, you'll see what has become a very uh, familiar phrase and poster in recent days. Keep calm and carry on. It was commissioned in the UK by the, minist- uh, by the Ministry of Information at the start of the Second World War. It was one of three posters. One of the posters reminded the people that freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. Another reminded them that their, uh, their cheerfulness and their uh, courage and their resoluteness will bring the victory. And then the third um, poster was this one, keep calm and carry on. But it was never really released into circulation. It was held back in reserve. But more than 10 years ago, in 2000, Stuart Manley, he and his wife Mary, owned Baxter Books in the northeastern corner of England, was going through a box of books. And he found this poster in mint condition. And his wife liked it so much that she put it in a frame and hung it up in their bookstore. And then more and more people wanted copies. And soon it spread everywhere and so to this day it has made a sort of a second career and you probably heard after the Boston Marathon marathon bombings uh, that one of the mottos was keep calm and carry on the Atlantic Monthly in an op-ed about the Boston terrorist attack uh, used this as the headline keep calm and carry on then there's all sorts of knockoffs that are going on you've probably seen them like keep calm and blog or keep calm and consolidate all your all your uh, debts into one low monthly payment. Uh, there's another one that goes, uh, keep calm and chive on. And uh, there's also, even in our city, one of the local high schools now is using it, uh, keep calm, and then they refer to their mascot. And I saw this on a shirt yesterday uh, when I was having lunch. And then there's those who are a complete knockoff by actually taking the reverse stand. You may have seen uh, the saying that goes uh, something uh, like this. It's um, uh, basically uh, now panic and freak out. And so it's made quite a comeback. And, and I'm curious as to why this has happened. I don't really know for sure. Maybe it's just kind of our current fascination with all things British, you know, with Kate and William and the, and the coming baby. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's just that we so often in our life feel like the Brits on the eve of the Second World War. 
overwhelmed, uh, facing impending doom. And at any moment, they may find when they wake up one morning that their country has been invaded and actually occupied by the enemy. Hard to know. Maybe it's a reflection of the angst that we feel in our day. But actually what I want to talk with you about this morning is just thinking with you, I don't know for sure, but how might Jesus react to a poster like this? What would be his take about keep calm and carry on? Well, I think he's probably pretty good, is my guess, with the calm part. If there's anything that characterizes the Jesus of the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, you'll see Jesus very purposeful, uh, very premeditated in his action, able to handle whatever comes his way uh, in a very thoughtful and action that he takes is, is a, a result of direct uh, reflection and prayer. Even when he's on the cross, he's able to say, Father, forgive to the very peop- about the very people that put him on the cross. and There's a calmness. And, and I know that some of you will say, well, didn't he like take a, a whip and drive out money changers in and, and the temple? And you, perhaps you remember we've talked about that before. That whip was probably just the tassels of his robe, uh, the seat seat on his robe, which are uh, the little tassels indicate obedience to God's commands. So by taking the tassels, tying them together, sweeping them across the table, it's a premeditated act that basically is meant to convey this message, you are breaking all of these commandments by setting up this money changer table in the court of the Gentiles. So even that is a rather calm and reflective act in, uh, in many ways. And then under criticism this morning, a very calm and thoughtful response. I mean, basically, here's the criticism. They're telling the Son of God, you're on the, you're on the devil's side. You're working for Satan. Can you imagine knowing that you're on a mission from God? To be called an agent of Satan, uh, what that must have felt like to you. You know, I've had some critiques, stinging critiques in my time, but never really one quite like that. I think the worst one I can remember is years ago in another church, I'd done something uh, that was um, unpopular. And one of the letter among some people, one of the letters of criticism I got, and this was back in the days of the PTL club, if you remember that on TV. One of the letters I got accused me of being Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. I thought that was low. Uh... But, I mean, this is worse to call this agent of God, the Son of God, to call him in league with the evil one. But Jesus calmly responds and just offers this uh, piece of logic, which is, why would, why would Satan work against Satan? Why would Satan have somebody go and, and heal people and drive out demons and do the very stuff that Saint, Satan wants to stay around? One of the interesting things about that logic, though, is the, the implication that every miracle that Jesus performs actually is some sort of action against the evil one in this world. So we run into illness, we run into disease, we run into poverty, or hunger, so he's feeding the 5,000, or we run into death. All these things that you run into, we see that he actually sees them as the work of the evil one in a sense. Uh, so I think keep calm probably resonates with him. I thought about that crown, though. The crown, of course, was the uh, Tudor crown. It was the crown of uh, King George VI that's on this poster. I don't know how Jesus would have been about King George, but Jesus clearly labeled this a battle and a clash of kingdoms. He clearly said it's God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Now, I think that would have frustrated a number of people who were listening to Jesus speak because they wanted to see the war not against the evil one. They want to see the war against the Romans. 
or at the very least, King Herod's uh, son and his minions, the Herodians, the people that are defiling the temple and making this uh, such a Hellenistic state. Uh, But that's not where Jesus comes down. Jesus basically comes down to say Rome's not the issue. Herod's not the issue. The issue is every time that there is illness, disease, loneliness, sickness, poverty, brokenness, lack of reconciliation, tension between folks, you've got the evil one at work. And he is going to work against that kingdom. So I think he's probably okay. But the carry on, I've got some questions about carry on. Uh, You may know that this, um, as I mentioned, this poster was not really mass produced and released in 1939. And, And the reason, apparently, is they were holding it in reserve that it was more a poster that they were going to release if the Nazis actually occupied Great Britain. It was sort of a, a, a defensive poster that says, all right, now that we're, you know, we're really underwater, let's just try to stay afloat. And, and that's why the Ministry of Information never really released it um, during its time. It was meant more for defensive sort of purposes. And I think when I look at Jesus and the gospel, I see somebody that's clearly on the offensive that clearly is working aggressively to restore the world and restore people to the way that God wants things to be. So every time something attacks God's perfect plan, Jesus is going to work to restore that perfect plan for whole people, for whole relationships, for people that are well-fed, for people that are well-loved. That's the goal, and Jesus is going to jump into there and battle that with everything that he can. He is not in a defensive posture. He goes around healing as an offensive posture, as an aggressive posture. Jesus figures there's a war on, and he's going to not be on the defensive He's actually going to jump in, not to survive, but to thrive and make things better. About five or six centuries ago, there was a famous preacher in New York City who made this observation. He said, the world can be divided into two groups of people. One group of people want to make it a better world. The other group of people want to make a better place for themselves in the world as it is. Do you see the difference? One want to go on the offensive and make it the kind of world God has in mind. The other people are going to say, well, given the difficulties with God, I'm going to like do the best I can for myself and for my family. That's not the posture that Jesus has. He jumps. He doesn't try to stay above the fray. He jumps into the fray uh, to, to bring God's vision of a world back to this world. Uh, One of the leading rabbis in the 21st century is a guy named Jonathan Sachs, who uh, is in the UK. In a YouTube uh, video that's just a couple minutes long, they ask him, I think, a very, you know, profound question. They ask him, Rabbi, what is the purpose of life? And I think he gives uh, an answer that fits from the beginning uh, of Genesis and Exodus and goes through Jesus up to our day. This is what he says. The purpose. Our purpose in life is to create spaces in this world where the divine presence can rest. And while I'm trying to figure out what does that mean, he goes on to explain it. Our purpose is to bring bits and pieces of heaven to this earth. Create places where it is as God intends it to be. That is our purpose. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we do what we do. Can we help make this world the way that God intended it to be? Can we make a place for God? Can we make that space? Can we bring heaven to this earth? 
And I think in the scriptures, that concept is called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is when the world operates exactly as God intends. And Jesus is on the offensive to see that that happens. So I really, I think it's a wonderful poster, very popular, but I actually, Fred is going to show you a poster I think fits Jesus much better. This one, from 1917, used in the First World War and the Second World War. I think Jesus is trying to not only be a part of that battle, but to recruit us to that battle. Jesus is not about helping us survive and carry on. Not about helping us, well, let's just make the best of a bad situation while sin rules this planet. Jesus is about like, let's go, let's go take that sin head on. Let's go take that loneliness head on. Let's go take illness head on. Let's go take brokenness. Let's go take injustice. Let's go take it head on. That's what he does, and he wants us to be a part of it. And if, if you want to be a part of that, you need to know this when you sign up. Uh, you need to know that you are engaged in a mop-up operation. You need to know that the strong man's already been tied up. This is Jesus' logic. It's like, you know, how could I have done any of this if I haven't already run the, won the war? How could any demons respond to me? How could bread be multiplied? How could any of this happen if, if, if God's forces were not already taking control to help this planet be as God intended? The kingdom of God, he said, has come near you. I was pastor for almost three years uh, near Olmito, Texas. And some of you may, who are historians may realize that Olmito is the site of the last battle of the Civil War. It was fought May 12th and 13th, 1865. Anything strike you as unusual about that date? Yeah, it's a full month after Lee has surrendered to Grant, after Joseph Johnston has surrendered the forces to Sherman. The fighting's over, but the word hasn't quite gotten down to the valley and they fight on and in many ways that's what happens today when there is illness when there is poverty when there are broken relationships when there is hunger it's because they haven't gotten the word yet that the war is over and so the mop-up operation continues now it's not easy it's still fierce we're very privileged in our church that we have uh, several people that actually were part of the Battle of the Bulge. And when we talked about it on Sunday morning several years ago, they came up and talked with us after the service. And what I know is that was completely fierce fighting. It was a very hard time. But what I think they knew and what C.S. Lewis turned into metaphor was this. And, and, the, and the Nazis knew it too. Once the beachhead was established in Normandy, the war was over. There were battles to be fought. But the outcome was decided. And they're still fierce. And it's still painful to have someone with cancer. But when we pray for them, we're taking an act and creating space for God's presence. It's still grim to see children's poverty here in our state. That we would rank so poorly in our nation taking care of our children. That's a fierce battle. But the war is over. This is a mop-up. We can get in there. With confidence. We can do that. And you need to know that you're on the winning side. That Jesus has already won this deal. And that when you and I reach out to someone who's lonely or sick or hungry or hurting or the victim of injustice, lost in addiction or sin, and we reach out to them and help them, we have taken 
another strand of rope. And we've put it around the strong man. And one day, with enough of us working with God's Holy Spirit, he will not be able to move at all.